Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Just past up as nine on a Friday night. So it must be time for shortcuts with Knight's film guru, Dan Slevin. Dan, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm all right. I haven't seen The Boy in the Heron yet. We talked about this last week, the new Hayao Miyazaki film. Um, so I feel like I've let you down. Yeah, you have, actually. <laughs> I'm, I'm very disappointed in you. We, we have to. What do you do with your, all the spare time with you all have? The, exactly. the well, actually, you know, I could have got, I can go in the sort of early afternoon, but I feel bad not being online. Oh, it's terrible. Anyway, Dan, I will tell you, though, that um, on Wednesday, I was on Bookmarks with GC Mulligan on Afternoons, and we didn't actually end up talking about it, but he asked me for a couple of my favorite movies. And one of the ones that I nominated was Spirited Away, and we did talk about that. But we didn't talk about my other one, which was Dazed and Confused, the Richard Linklater movie. Have you ever seen that? Yeah, not only not only have I seen it, but I was working at the Paramount Picture Theatre in Wellington when we premiered it. Stop. And uh, it, it's it's a it's kind of a really important film from from my development as a hey. as a film lover. Yeah, love it. I was trying, because, you know, when when you're asked questions like, come on and talk about your favourite film, you, you end up going down that rabbit hole of thinking about why you like the film. And I really love Richard Linklater as a director, and I think that the reason for that is he's a director who doesn't really seem to care about plot. Do you know what I mean? It's not really mm-hmm. about what happens. It's about how people live and develop as human beings. Yeah, I think that's a really fair point. I think there's something I like about him, which is that he he likes his characters. Do you know what I mean? Like he likes them yeah. to be happy and to succeed and to and to get on with each other. And and he, I think, even even those that that um, might be antagonists in terms of of plot, you know, he still wants to understand them. Mm. And uh, you know, there's not enough of that really in movies today. Mm. Well, let's talk about movies today. And uh, the first film that you wanted to tell us about is this new Sofia Coppola or Coppola. You could clear that up for me if you could film uh, Priscilla. Right. So let's start with the pronunciation Coppola. Thank you. Uh, I did actually double check this when I heard you um, uh, promoing this segment earlier Mm. on. I thought, oh, I better check. And it is Coppola. Okay. She is, of course, from the uh, the famous Coppola movie-making family. Her father, Francis Ford Coppola, made the Godfather films way back and is still uh, uh, in between making a fortune in the wine business, is still attempting yeah. to make films in his 80s. Uh, and she's now 52 years old. She's not necessarily the sort of enfant, young sort of... Um, uh, sort of innocent filmmaker that she perhaps was in the late 90s when uh, she started out. And uh, it's been a while since we've seen um, a film of hers. And I think this isn't 
the first time that she's made a film in a long while that's been about somebody from history. Uh, 2006, she made Marie Antoinette, which caused a bit of a stir mm. uh, with Kirsten Dunst. And this is the story of Priscilla Presley. Uh, she starts the film as Pris- Priscilla um, Beaulieu and her relationship with Elvis Presley, uh, and which, of course, was... Uh, a kind of fairy tale romance mm-hmm. at one point, and then went sour a little bit later on. And the film tells the story very, very much from her perspective. Priscilla Presley is still alive and uh, is a an executive producer on the film, and it's based on her autobiography, Elvis and Me. So you've got to go into it knowing that uh, there is definitely a perspective, and 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 it's going to prioritise. Uh, one side of that relationship. But I think it's really important that it gets a chance to do that because mm. all the films about Elvis have been about Elvis, haven't they, really? And she's just always been a, a, a secondary character. Well, it's almost and more interesting one. to have a film that's not about Elvis but is about Priscilla because, you know, there's so much bloody stuff on Elvis. You, you, you can already, you know what I mean? This is, I suppose, a more un, untold angle to the story, isn't it? Absolutely. And to be honest, I think the film is more insightful about Elvis the character by holding him at a bit of a distance than Baz Luhrmann's recent film was, for example, which uh, one of the things about the film that you should know is that they didn't get the rights to any of Elvis's music and Mm -hmm. uh, that, that deal fell through while they were about to go into production and it meant they lost half the budget just as they were about to start shooting. So it was a massive sort of rewrite of the script. But it's actually because we're not, we don't get to see Elvis perform. uh, He's, he's, he is at arm's length. And I think we get, I think a better understanding of him and his relationship, not just to him, but to his family and to uh, his friends. Um, Priscilla is only 14 years old when they meet in 1959 Mm -hmm. in Germany. And uh, Elvis recently uh, is, is still mourning the loss of his mother. And he takes a shine to her, invites him to his house for parties, but is careful, according to the film, to go about it in the in the right way by going through um, her parents and seeking all the relevant permissions, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what you realise when you watch them together is that actually, you know, yes, 14, that's creepy, right? And... Okay, yeah. But they're both children, is what you realise. It's just that he's twenty-four years old. He's still, he's really, he's he's immature and has been sort of pampered and coddled and been given what he wants. Uh, but at the same time, is lonely and missing his mother. And uh, so I think you know that that's a side of Elvis that we we haven't necessarily seen very much of. We've got a clip that we can play you here, and this is from a little bit later in the film. Priscilla has moved into Graceland's, uh, and uh, they're not yet married, I don't think, at this point, but Elvis is about to leave, as he so often did, in the tour bus for Hollywood to make another film. And uh, so let's hear a little bit of this. Come on, come on, come on, baby, come on, come on, baby. Come on, come on, get you. Come on, get a boy, get a boy, get a boy, get a boy, get a boy. Come on. It's back to Hollywood. I won't be too long. What is it, baby? Hey, you driving? Yeah, man, of course. I'm on the damn bus. Just didn't miss you. I know, little one. I just, uh... Give me a few weeks to get into this movie, and then 
I don't know, maybe you can come out for a while. I need you to keep the home fires warm. Now you be a good girl? And I'll call you when I get there, okay? Let's go. All right, Viva Las Vegas. Let's roll it. Gee, that's a good Elvis. It's not bad, eh? Yeah. And uh, that is the Australian actor Jacob Elordi. Uh, I'm not sure if you will have seen him. He's most recently been in uh, the film Saltburn. Euphoria. Very- I saw it. He was in Euphoria. Oh, right, yes. Yeah. Yep. He is impossibly tall. He's six foot five inches tall, and so they, it, you know, he 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 doesn't look like Elvis much, apart from the fact that he's given excellent Elvis costumes in here. Yeah. But he yes, he has got the voice and he has got the attitude. He's got that sort of mercurial. Um, he's your best friend until he decides that he's not. Kind of mm-hmm. attitude that stars carry with them, and uh, there he is. He's off. He's off with the with the boys, basically, the taking care of business boys that uh, he had on the payroll for so long. And poor Priscilla is left alone with uh, his grandma, who is nicknamed Dodger, uh, and the maid at Gracelands, and uh, has to sort of fend for herself. And she realises that she's basically a kind of prisoner in a velvet cage, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it takes, it takes a while for her, because she's so young, to realise that actually this isn't really going to work long term, is it? Because he's not going to change. <laughs> he's, he's under no pressure whatsoever to change. And in fact, if anything, um, as he gets older and more under the influence of, 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 of drugs and alcohol, then uh, you know he's even less likely to pay attention to her. So there is a bit of tragedy there, but it ends on a kind of uplifting note, especially if you're Priscilla, you know. There is, it, it's so interesting to hear you say that this is... A, 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 you know, a, arguably a better way into understanding Elvis Presley than the Bears Lerman film about him because I um I used to listen to I don't anymore but I used to listen to this podcast called Revisionist History by Malcolm Gladwell. Are you familiar with that? I I'm not that not that podcast, but I do know Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah. yeah. So he does his podcast Revisionist History, and one of the episodes is about Elvis Presley and about how the, the, there are theories that Elvis suffered from um, parapraxis. Um, when it came to singing a particular song later in his career called Are You Lonesome Tonight? And Gladwell kind of delves into why this might be. And, and you're quite right, he, he, he is a, he's sort of a man-child, isn't he? And and lots of really terrible things happened to him. I think his twin died in utero. Um, his mother died at, at a pretty young age and he was very close to her. And then, of course, he, this this, tur- this very turbulent and ultimately doomed relationship with with Priscilla, I suppose. That's right. And not only that, but there's also, and the one thing I think the Baz Luhrmann film does get right, um, or at least maybe not right because it's such a cartoon performance from Tom Hanks, but is the relationship, the manipulative relationship that he had with um, the colonel, his yeah. manager, and that that kind of sense that actually old-fashioned showbiz was going to be, was always going to become the priority for him. It was always going to be, be, be the first choice, um, whether that was good for him artistically or good for him personally. Before we move on to the next film, Dan, a question from a listener. Uh, please ask Dan how long it's going to take me to forget the final dancing scene from Saltburn. Uh, what is your verdict on that, please? Well... Can I just um, say to the listener that I had forgotten it until <laughs> just 
And so, um, so yeah, can, can people not do that? It's an I just lost the game kind of situation, that one. All right, let's move yeah. on to uh, the first of two films about survival in freezing conditions, uh, Society of the Snow. Yeah. This is a, this is an absolute cracker. This film. I was uh, I'd, I'd read some good things about it, but you know I I tend to be a little bit snobby about films that go straight to Netflix. I shouldn't, but I am. Uh, but this is a film. Uh, the second film that's been made based on the story uh, of the famous 1972 air crash in the Andes, where. Uh, a Uruguayan rugby team and their sort of family and friends, uh, they chartered a plane to go to Santiago in Chile for a long weekend. And the plane crashes in the Andes. The Andes is the is almost impossible landscape that runs down the spine of Latin America and is famously um, dangerous in terms of the pressures and the winds and, and what have you. Mm. Uh, and, the plane crashes and it's the middle of winter and the res- the, the the rescue uh, aircraft can't find them and there are about 27 of the 45 passengers actually survive the initial crash and they are left on the mountain for over 70 days and by the time rescue comes, I don't think it's a too much of a spoiler to be able to say that that, that rescue does eventually uh, arrive. It's called the miracle, the miracle of the Andes. Uh, there are only seventeen of them left, and and possibly it's most famous for uh, one of their the methods that they used to stay alive, which was to eat the. Flesh of the of the other passengers that had passed away, mm. so cannibalism was this kind of uh, was the big scandal initially of the story um, that passed quite quickly. The Catholic Church uh, absolved them of of any uh, of any mortal sin in that regard. Um, we're going to play a little bit of a clip. It's in Spanish, uh, so do forgive me if. But if you if you do speak Spanish, you'll get this. This is actually the scene um, in the crashed fuselage where the survivors are discussing. Uh, what to do with these, uh, with the, the the dead fellow passengers, and whether God is going to look down on them with forgiveness. ¿Qué va a pasar con nosotros? Dios nos va a perdonar. Dios nos puso en esta situación. Va a comprender que hagamos lo imposible para sobrevivir. Dios no tiene nada que ver con esto. Disculpame, Marcelo. Acá nos trajo la suerte. La mala suerte. Es solo carne. Es gente que queremos, Arturo. ¿Y cómo se corta un cuerpo? ¿Y quién sería capaz de hacerlo? Yo. Yo lo hago. Yo también. Yo no voy a comer. Nosotros no podemos hacer eso. ¿Legal comer un muerto? ¿No vamos a ir presos si lo hacemos? Sería como la donación de órganos. ¿Qué estás diciendo? Para que sea una donación de un órgano, vos necesitas el consentimiento del donante. Marcelo, es un delito. Nosotros no podemos ir... Agarrar y usar un cuerpo sin su consentimiento. Tengo que comer, no, no tenemos ese derecho. ¿Y yo no tengo derecho a hacer todo lo que pueda para poder vivir? ¿Quién me va a sacar ese derecho? Well, I didn't understand any of that, Dan, but Spanish is a beautiful language. It is a beautiful language. I think the point that uh, that I'd like to make with that clip is that no matter how 
uh, ghastly the circumstances, they remained mostly calm and practical and talked to, to each other, talked among each other with um, with with respect and sensitivity. And they didn't seem to kind of lose their minds. And I, I think that that's something that these sorts of films, you know, I, I, I'm a, the next one we talk about is another another example. I quite like these films where um, human beings are put into intolerable situations and they rise to the challenge of them. You know, I think that that's always something we we like to think that we're capable of. I mean, I, I'm not personally, but I like to think that we as human beings are. And I think that the, 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 what the film does really well is is. And it's called Society of the Snow. They build a society over the nearly three months that they're together uh, where uh, leaders emerge and there is uh, respect for people's different opinions. Not everybody uh, initially accepts that that um, the cannibalism is is, uh, is is the correct choice. Yeah. But nobody, um, you know, they, nobody is sort of disestablished because of it. Um Yes, yeah, sorry, you were going to say something. Oh, I was just going to say, I, I think they, um, they, they, they tried to eat the stuffing from the um, armrests, didn't they? They tried, they really did. They tried everything that they could before they made that decision. Absolutely, and and at, at one point in the film, after they've after the they've they've resorted to this, uh, some of them go on an expedition to try and find other parts of the plane that might contain useful things, and they come back with the tail of the plane and some batteries that they think might be able to get the radio going again, but also a suitcase full of booze oh. and, and and chocolate. And and so, you know, for a couple of days there, they they um, their diet changes. But it's it is it is a remarkable story and it's it is beautifully sensitively told. It's directed by it's a Spanish movie and it's directed by a guy called J. A. Bayona. And I first came across him in 2012. He made a film uh, called The Impossible, which was about another disaster, actually, and people recovering from it. It was about the 2004 Indian Ocean tsunami. And that that his recreation of the tsunami in that film was one of the most traumatic things I've ever seen on film. And I have to say that uh, the crash of the plane is done just so fantastically well that it really is. It, it's just um, you have to you have to take your eyes off the screen at times because it is just so uh, traumatic for you, and you think, "Oh my god, the whole film's going to be like this." But it isn't. It's sort of the crash is the is the is the worst of it, and then they just try and they just try and get through it. And it's yeah, it, it, the technical achievements in this film are. Phenomenal! The practical effects, the makeup and the hair, which they nominated for an Oscar for, uh, the uh, digital effects are absolutely seamless. They went to the original crash site in Uruguay and got what they call digital plates to be used as sort of background for uh, for the scenes. Most of the snow scenes are actually shot in Spain, uh, and it's. Just technically, that sounds amazing. If you've got a half-decent sound system at home, the Atmos soundtrack for this is phenomenal. And so when you when you add all that craft together 
and then it's in the service of a great story. It's also full of first-time or no-name actors from Spain, from Argentina, from Uruguay. And the fact that the script manages to make these 45 original passengers distinct from each other and the actors still distinct from each other when you don't know who they are, I think is a real achievement as well. And I have to say, I mean, I have a text here, and I'm so sorry to this texter, but this texter says, do not talk about cannibalism. I'm I'm about to talk about cannibalism because I, I don't know if I'm weird for this. Maybe it's not a good thing to say out loud with thousands and thousands of people listening, but I am fascinated by stories of cannibalism. Whether you know whether it's the Dudley, uh, the uh, yeah the Dudley and Stevens case, Thor, or the German guy in the two thousands, um, or, or or this case, or the TV show Yellow Jackets, which is terrible, but which I watched, um, you know, and I think it's because it's the sort of thing that is so unimaginable, um, and and yet in in situations like these guys found themselves in, it's the only thing that you can do, and it's just so fascinating to try to put yourself in the mindset of somebody in such a desperate, desperate situation that this is the only course of action. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Oh, it's, sure. it's, it's the unimaginable being at the very, the very, very edge of what is, um, what is acceptable behavior and, and what, and what, what you'll do to survive. Some of the, some of the passengers chose not to do it. And as a result, they perished, you know, like it's, it, it, it's really clear what the choice was for them. Someone writes, Kathy in Christchurch, this is, I liked Sophia um, Coppola's approach to Cole Parker not appearing in the film. His presence um, was orders to Elvis via the phone, um, some of which affect what Priscilla can and can't do. That seems an interesting observation. Yeah, that, that's right. Exactly. That, that, that's that's very true. In this, in that, um, yeah, he is this shadowy, shadowy figure ordering everybody around, basically moving them all around like chess pieces. And every time... Uh, Elvis takes a call from um, the colonel. He he goes. He reverts to to being a sort of sullen teenager. Yes, boss. Yes, dad. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that relationship it, it happens without um, having needing to have Tom Hanks in a fat suit. Mm-hmm. Indeed, I see Cole Palmer should be Colonel Palmer. Anyway, uh, Dan, every week you also come on and talk about uh, a free option, someone that pretty much anyone in the country can watch for free. And what have you gone for this week? Well, staying with our theme of people on the edge in the snow, uh, there's a film on Māori TV Plus, which I'm very fond of, from 2018, and it's called Arctic, and it stars Mads Mikkelsen, the the great uh, Danish actor, I think. Uh, He he plays this is an interesting sort of twist on it because as the film starts the crash has already happened he is sitting patiently uh in the wreckage of his crashed plane with his wind up uh dynamo uh rescue beacon and he's waiting patiently doing a little bit of fishing waiting for someone to come and rescue him and the helicopter that eventually arrives to uh pick him up due to bad weather, crashes itself. And the pilot is killed and the passenger, who I think is uh, is a paramedic, um, is very, very badly injured. And he realises that as the weather's closing in, he's the only way that she is going to survive. So he can't just sit and wait any longer for help to come. He has to strap her to a makeshift uh, sled and pull her across the ice uh, in a, 
a, a trip that's going to take several days mm. to try and get her to safety. And this is one of those one man against the elements films. There's very little dialogue because they don't speak a shared language, oh. her and, and him. And, uh, all he's and, and and he has to change his entire approach to life because she has turned up and he has to sort of step up and save her and of course it just gets worse and worse and worse as as things go on and polar bears turn up and he falls into <laughs> crevasses and uh it it's brilliantly exciting it's all shot in Iceland it's an Icelandic co-production oh. uh Iceland being filling in for a lot of icy places these days and uh it's it's it was a, a little indie film really but re- exceptionally well made Mads Mikkelsen one of my favorite actors he was a gymnast as a child and then trained uh as a dancer before becoming an actor and therefore I think he is totally at ease without having to worry about dialogue mm-hmm. I think that he's he has said that this is the hardest shoot that he's ever done, uh, and I can totally believe it. Uh, but it is, uh, it is really, it, it's a ter- it's a terrific film, and it is streaming for free for everybody on Marty Plus. That's that makes sense, but I didn't know that about Mads Mikkelsen. But it is it, it is funny how some people do just move in a very beautiful and fluid kind of way, and he definitely has that that sort of um, aesthetic to him, doesn't he? It, it all looks so easy. Well, that's right. And he also wears clothes. I mean, not in this particular film, but often he wears clothes very well, doesn't he? This one, he's wrapped up in furs, but, uh, you know, he's he do, he just looks good, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, he does. Oh, honestly, those Scandinavians. Um, <laughs> you've actually, you, there's someone, um, Myra, one of my Knight's friends who, who emails um, through quite a lot uh, and is a member of the Palmerston North Film Society, writes, uh, you know, this was an absolutely fantastic film. And she also pointed out no dialogue, which is really a brave decision to take in a film. It is, absolutely. And uh, you, I think that Mads can, can pull it off, but also the direction, it, it does have a script. It was written and directed by Joe Penner. And just the, it, it's always really clear what he's up against. You know what I mean? It's like you, you, you the, the, the stakes are always rising in ways that you can understand and appreciate and be uh, and experience the peril of, if you know what I mean. Totally. Fantastic stuff. Dan Slevin, always a joy chatting to you. Thanks very much for your time this evening. Thanks for having me. That was Dan Slevin, those three films that he recommended tonight. Priscilla um, by Sofia Coppola, Society of the Snow, and the free option this week was Arctic, which you can find on Māori TV+. Plus. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.